Mic check, mic check. This microphone's giving me all sorts of headaches this week. Mic check. My workstation is greasy again. Got the side mic working here. So weak. Dude, this is a Watkins thing. <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's got to be a Watkins thing. What else would it be? <laughs> I mean, what is Watkins doing differently this week than he ever did before? I don't, don't want to throw Watkins under the bus. Just some something is I mean, going he's still on here. here. He's giving me the palms to the sky right now. <laughs> is it a Jason Ross thing? It's I don't Ross. know. Ross sits I there. don't know. Watkins I'm just is saying, more over here. Right this now. was never the case before. It's just this week, my workstation is greasy for some reason. Every time I sit down at it. Watkins is more to my right than yeah. my left. So that's got to be a Jason Ross thing. What is he doing? Can I don't. You, can you hand me a thing? I don't want to speculate. I shouldn't do this on the air, but I just noticed it now. <sighs> See, what's going to happen here now is I'm going to have to. I'm going to. I'm going to have to give you a thing, right? Lysol wipe. Now I'm going to have to sanitize my hands. See what's happening. I'm here? sorry. I just so, noticed this, and it's grossing me out, and I'm not going to be able to focus without cleaning it. I think it's safe to say you should plan on having it be greasy. I, I, I know. I know. I know. Like I said, it's kind, it's kind of a new thing, so it's not part of my routine yet. So I'm sorry, but. It's uh, it's greasy, and I don't want to touch it. You know, just talked out the bed, <laughs> so that happened. Sorry, I'm very unprofessional on my part, and I apologize <laughs> for that. But I didn't notice it till just now, and uh, it's uh, it, like I said, it would throw me off my game. It's I would just, just be a little lubrication for the papadilla. That's I would gonna be coming <laughs> later. That's it. A little Friday lubrication for the papadilla. Yeah, I shouldn't talk because it's going to be greasy again after we have our snack exchange at four forty-five. After you drivel all over the countertop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I took care of it. And again, right. my apologies for the unprofessionalism. I'm just always happy when you have an issue with the workstation versus me having an issue with the workstation because people, I think, they they see me and they listen to me and they think that I, I'm always a hard time. But this is what happens in the business. It's I hope this untapped. doesn't become the norm, the greasy workstation. Um, I don't know. Jason like Ross I said, might have other plans. It wasn't before this week. I don't know what happened this week. All right, well, thanks for being with us on this Friday. Cattles and Rami, Sacktown Sports, we appreciate you as always. chicken week on the Carmichael Davis show. What's going on? What is happening here? You got to put a fryer on the countertop, 7.30, they frying wings on the show? What the hell is happening? Um, but thanks uh, thanks for being with us. And let's, let's start with the obvious. Let's start with the NBA Finals last night. Game one in the books. The Nuggets cruised. They made it look easy. This game was pretty much over after the first one and a half quarters. And I know Miami made a little bit of a run to start the fourth quarter. That could be expected. Denver took their foot off the gas. Miami made a nice little push to get it around 11, 12 points. But it was over. This game was donezo. Denver cruises. And here was uh, Heat head coach Eric Spolstra in the postgame last night. It's not always going to happen perfectly. It's not always going to happen based on the scheme. Uh, that's the nature of our team is we find a way to compete and overcome whatever it is. Uh, and we need a lot more of that, uh, you know, in game two. Yeah, you need a lot more of it in game two. You need to figure out what you can do game two, which will make it better than game one because mm-hmm. game one was not good enough. Rami, your number one takeaway from last night's game. I, I feared this might be the case. I'm kind of rooting for the Heat, just the underdog, and and I, I I like Jimmy Butler going back to his Bulls days. You know, I grew up in Chicago, so I I don't really care. But if if you ask me to pick a rooting interest, it'd probably be the Heat. And I was I was a little concerned this might be the case because of what we saw games four through six in the Eastern Conference Finals. He stepped up again in Game Seven, but yeah, man, playoff Jimmy might just be out of gas or magic or whatever whatever it was that he had in in the first two and a half series 
of of these playoffs. He just can't seem to to draw that up, to conjure that up yeah. consistently anymore. And man, last night he was he was bad. He he could he wasn't getting to the hoop. He had thirteen points. He was six of fourteen from the field. I mean, the fact he only took fourteen shots, who even even if he was more efficient and hitting on fourteen shots, who else would would you expect or could you expect to pick up the slack when it comes to scoring? For the Miami Heat. And I know Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin and Max Struess have been good. Bam Adebayo actually had a great game last night. He was tremendous in the first half. I told you yesterday, I picked the Nuggets, but I, I give the Heat a chance. And I said the only way they have a chance is if playoff Jimmy can consistently show up throughout these this series. And the others step up and 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 you know conjure up some of that magic that they had in the Eastern Conference Finals. Where Caleb Martin, in your opinion, and many others should have been the the MVP of that series. You didn't get either one last night, Nick. And if you had told me that before the game, I'd tell you they have no chance in last night's game. If, if Jimmy and the others can't show up, then then they they can't beat a Nuggets team this good. This is now a trend. Jimmy was fantastic through Game 2 against the Celtics. And then Game 3 and on, he has not been very good. And we could look at the counting statistics, and we could look at a game like Game 6 against Boston. He played 47 minutes. He gave you 24 points, 11 rebounds, and 8 assists. The counting stats at times have looked good. But let me run through, Rami. Since Game 3 against Boston, Shooting-wise, what we've seen from Butler, Game 3 against the Celtics, 5 for 13. Then he went 9 for 21. And then he took only 10 shots in Game 5. He went 5 for 10 against the Celtics and scored 14 points in Game 5. Is that the one where he sat pretty much the whole fourth quarter? Yeah, he played 34 minutes that night. Game 6, he was 5 for 21 from the floor. You could argue that the Heat won despite Jimmy Butler in games six and seven. And again, the counting stats, the 28, seven and six in game seven, he shot 12 of 28 from the floor. He's been incredibly inefficient since, you know, that end of game two in the Eastern conference. The thing, he did, the thing he did in game seven, where I'll still say that was, that was a pretty, pretty, pretty great game. And, and it was playoff Jimmy in action is absolute daggers. Whenever the Celtics showed signs of life in, in the second half of that game, him and Caleb Martin were were like trading off daggers to to suck that life right yeah. out of him, and you need that in a game seven. So not his most efficient scoring or or shooting night, but still still an absolute killer when you needed it in a game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. So I, I will chalk that up as a good game. But outside of that, Nick, you're absolutely right. He hasn't been that guy for the majority of the last what now five six games. Here's the thing, though, you need to be close. For those kinds of shots to matter. Sure. And so now the argument is, you know, can you survive the first three quarters against a team like Denver, who is obviously better and more cohesive than Boston was? Will you be able to survive through the first three quarters against this team and not be down 15, 18, 20? And if you're down by that, daggers don't mean anything. Daggers don't exist. My biggest takeaway last night was what I said yesterday before this series began Size matters a lot in this series. Nikola Jokic was terrific, 27, 10, and 14. You want to talk about efficient? He only took 12 shots last night. 27 points on 12 shots. Dude's ridiculous. Another triple dub. He was 8 for 12 from the field, and here he was in the postgame. I couldn't wait to start just because uh, when the game started, it felt a normal. Everything else didn't feel felt a normal. The whole media, main media day last, yesterday or the day before, you know, it was a... Um, I think it's people are making something bigger than it is, you know. 
and when the game started, I felt it really comfortable. Yeah, it ain't no thing. It ain't no thing to Jokic. It's just business as usual. This guy has crushed the entire postseason. And if it wasn't just for Jokic, you had Aaron Gordon mm-hmm. just go absolutely off in the first quarter. It was as if no matter what Miami tried to do for the most part, Denver had an answer. They had a response, whether it was Jamal Murray, whether it was Jokic, whether it was Gordon. You know, Michael Porter Jr. shot terribly from the field. Just wait until he starts making shots. This team is so devastating on the offensive side. And you mentioned about, you know, the lack of attack from Jimmy Butler in Miami. That was a problem. But here's the other problem. When Miami did take shots in the paint, they weren't very good. They shot 19 of 42 in the paint last night. It's like 45%. And, you know, when you go against Denver, I said this too yesterday, Denver, their their offense is versatile. You can't just sit there and say they're going to rely on the three. Last night, they shot 29.6% from three-point land, and they still played pretty good offense because they can beat you at a number of different spots on the floor. Yeah, and Jokic is just ridiculous, man. You know, you realize he only had five shots through the first three quarters and then finished with a triple-double? <laughs> 27, 14, and 10. Five shots. He was amazing. Through the first three quarters and finished with a, a 27, 14, 10 triple-double. That's just, it's ridiculous. And that, it, by the way, that assist total, the most by a player in his first finals game ever. Yeah. And it was his seventh triple-double in his last nine games, which is, he already had, t- did he tie or break Will Chamberlain's record for uh, triple-doubles in a postseason? Oh, I'm pretty it's, sure he broke that. It's just silly, man. And and uh, quite honestly, it's a joy to watch, and I haven't haven't watched enough Nikola Jokic to this point in his career and during this run of dominance that he's on. I'm glad he's on this stage, man, so we so we can get to watch it. It's a beautiful thing to watch that dude play basketball. It's amazing. He's been so, so good. 916-339-1140 is the text line. Don't forget to hit us up with the text. Your thoughts on game one last night. Also, the phone number. Phone lines wide open at 1-800-920-1140. YouTube.com. Cracking at YouTube. YouTube.com. Sacktown Sports. I'm not as sweaty today as I have been. Thankfully. Just a little. Just a little sweaty. I am thankful for that. You are thankful for that. We are all thankful for less sweat from Rami Makhlouf. Thank you. Uh, So we'll get to your thoughts on game one. Also in 90 seconds, an in-depth look at who could make the Kings much better this summer. Probably because we shot a lot of jump shots myself. Paddles and Rami. Sacktown Sports. Look to uh, Dwayne Baker's son. Dwayne on uh, the YouTube chat. His son is graduating from Roseville High School tonight. Last child to get through school. So congratulations nice. to Dwayne and get congratulations to uh, Dwayne's son. Yes. For graduating from uh, Roseville High School. Isn't that how all parents feel by the time the kid is done with school? Just yeah. get him out the house? I think most parents feel that way. Okay. Seems to be the universal feel. Yeah. Like you um, crossed the finish line. Willie Bowen, our friend on YouTube, youtube.com, Sacktown Sports 1140. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. It's much appreciated. Uh, Heat has a goldfish battle with a sea of sharks. Chance to win a game in Denver. Uh, they might win one in Miami, but that's it. Bam will be, you ready for this? Spam. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Speaking of spam, how was the ham steak last night? Fantastic. Good. Everything worked out well. Good. I timed out everything. I couldn't have been more proud of myself. (laughs) 
than being able to run through my checklist last night without much For being an drama. independent adult man. Yes, yes. <laughs> that I handled everything. I even had enough time to watch a show. Wow. Yeah. Wow, look yep. at you. Got dinner done, got trash done, took man. care of the dog, got my workout done. You're an American hero. Yeah, man. You should be a motivational speaker. I'm trying. <laughs> trying to, uh, trying to uh, be a, a good role model for them kids. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. Like Dwayne's son. is Dwayne, right? Yes, it is. Like Dwayne's son. My neck of the woods, Roseville. So yes, it is. So there you go. So yes, again, congratulations to uh, Dwayne's son. And all the graduates. Yes. Graduation. Not just Dwayne's son. Everybody that graduates. It's graduation congratulations. season, Nick. It's graduation season. Is it? Yeah. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Congratulations to everybody who's graduated from some kind of class in the last six months. Cover all the ground. College, high school, junior high. I don't believe in celebrating like an eighth grade. Kindergarten. Like like a middle school or grade school graduation. I don't don't believe in that. I feel like we're setting the bar too low. Yeah, you got to wait till high school at least. Yeah, high school at least. I would agree on that. Right? All right, uh, let's- Oh, uh, cool. You finished sixth grade. Let's move on to the uh, (laughs) Kings. You know, the decision for Sasha Vizankov, it's going to be like LeBron's decision by the time he makes it. Kyle Draper is going to be at a local YMCA talking to Sasha Vizankov so he can let us know if he's actually going to be a king or not next year. I did wonder, though, while I was out, you know, Vizankov lost the EuroLeague championship. And and I wonder, does that impact him in any way? We actually had a guest on the show. Really? Yes, we did. Jay, what was his name again? I was, I was mess up this guy's in the middle oh. of a conversation. Um... I, I can't remember. I don't his think name. we need this. Anyways, Eurohoops.net was his uh, okay. his publication. Okay, and he said that had he that this was before they played the championship game, Nick, and he said if he wins, much greater chance that uh, he comes over and joins the Kings. Mm-hmm. And they they did not win; they lost by one point. So you wonder, you wonder if that's going to impact mm-hmm. him in any way. But Brendan Nunez, a friend of the show at Kings Herald, did a very good write up on Vazankov this week, and uh, here, here's what he had to uh, say about the forward. In the EuroLeague, Vizankov's got a lightning quick release when need be, range that extends a few feet beyond the three-point line, intelligence when relocating to open areas, and unwavering confidence to let it fly. NBA defenses are going to be forced to lock and trail Vizankov when he's moving through screens off ball. Open catch-and-shoot looks would be almost surely automatic and converted at a 40% rate at minimum. With teams focused on attempting to contain Fox's dribble drives or double Sabonis in the post, Vizankov would get more open looks than ever. Olympiakos being centered around consistent ball and player movement furthers the parallels with Sacramento's offense. Cuts and handoffs with Sabonis near the elbow were a staple for the Kings last season, and Vizankov already has experience finding success in those actions. So a lot of stuff that we've talked about, Rami, and and I've broken down a little bit here as well. The idea that he's great off the ball, moves off the ball, cuts, and he's a a very good three-point shooter, was very good from the corners, uh, he is a great fit. Chima Moneki spoke about Vizankov to uh, Nunez. And if you're wondering, Chima actually played Vizankov in the semis of the Euroleagues this year. And here's what Chima said, quote, he has great IQ and feel for the game. That's what makes him effective off the ball. He can take pressure off Fox and Sabonis by cutting, shooting, and spacing the floor, unquote. Uh, Nunez does talk about Vizankov's defense. He writes, his lack of lateral quickness could end up hurting on the defensive end of the floor, but when European teams attempted to exploit Vizankov in the pick and roll, he often was able to show and recover an adequate time, and his off-ball awareness is solid. So Nunez is saying, look, he's, he's not great defensively, 
but he might not be a puddle defensively. He might be able to do just enough to survive and not necessarily be taken advantage of every time. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Chima told Nunez, quote, people who say he will only get so far with limited athleticism are ignorant. There are many players that have proved that athleticism isn't the end-all, be-all when it comes to having success in the league. I've said this for, you know, since we've been talking about this guy, Rami. I think it's a no-brainer. I I think it's a no-brainer for Vizankov to come over. I think what we heard from Mike Brown when he went to Greece to watch Vizankov play in that tournament I think that tells us that the coach wants him here as a Sacramento King. And really, to me, what it comes down to is, A, does Vizankov want to come overseas, especially after losing, as we mentioned, in the Euros? B, what's the price? And are the Kings, is Monty comfortable with paying the price that it's going to take to pay to bring him over? We talked about this last week, and, oh, man, I'm forgetting all kinds of people's names. I want to say it was Jason Anderson in the sack, B. He, he sort of went through... The bullet points of, of, of the details of when Vizankov can come over, how much it might cost him, and I think they can offer him some of or all of the $12 million mid-level exception that they have, Nick. And they're, they're going to have to make it worth his while. Last year, they offered him, I think, about a million and a half dollars, if I'm remembering correctly from, from Jason's article, which was not even as much as he could, he could make in the year. He made in the EuroLeague last year between his contract and, and endorsements because, you know, he's a big fish in a little pond. So I think it's going to have to be at least in the, in the, four to six million dollar range of that mid-level exception yeah. to make it worth his while. And then after that, I think it's just about lifestyle and whether or not he wants to if he wants to move to the States and and leave his current situation right now where he's he appears to be happy and very successful um and 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 very very famous. Let's let's just be real of if that's something he wants, he like I said, big fish in a little pond right now. So you make the money right, and then it's just about whether or not he wants to be here. I also like the idea that he fits, you know, the timeline. Yes. This is not somebody that we're talking about who is, you know, early 30s, mid-30s. He's going to be 28 years old in August. So he's still somebody who is smack dab in the middle of his prime, which fits along with Sabonis, fits along with Fox. Fox is obviously younger than those guys, and he still has probably a year or two before he even reaches his prime. So I, I love that Vizenkov is only going to be 28 in a couple of months, because if you bring him over, he should arguably give you four or five good years at least. And that also, I think, might help him coming over, even though he lost in the Euros, because he is young. And he might say to himself, hey, I'll go play in the NBA when I'm, you know, 28 years old in my prime. I'll play there for four, five, six years, and then I can go back to Europe if I want in my, you know, mid-30s, early Mm -hmm. to mid-30s, and maybe try to finish that job. Take the money right now while it's there in the United States, play for a good team in the Kings that just won 48 games with the third seed in the Western Conference, take care of business in America, and then go back home if you'd like to try to finish the Euros and that goal you know if you can do it. You know who he sounded like to me in that, that scouting report that you just read was a bigger Keegan Murray is kind of what it sounded like to me when almost everything you described in in the in the scouting report his 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 off ball movement the the shots where he's com- the shots he's comfortable taking his defense which can be suspect but he also might have the size and athleticism to to stay in front of people which people said about Keegan Murray it sounded a lot like a bigger Keegan Murray to me yeah. when the in when I was reading it this morning the athletics Vincent Bonsignor will join us coming up next
All right, let's get right to the Folsom Lake Honda hotline. Folsom Lake Honda is your one-stop Honda shop. And joining us right now here on Cattles and Rami, Sac Town Sports, is Vincent Bonsignor from The Athletic. Of course, Vincent uh, writes about the Vegas Raiders. Vincent, thanks for the time. It's much appreciated as always, my friend. Uh, you got it, and it's actually the Las Vegas Review Journal. I used to work the athletic. Oh, it's, it's the Las, Las Review Journal. Oh, okay, the Las Vegas Review Journal. My bad, Vincent. My bad. No worries, man. You know what? Life moves fast, man. That's and, it. Uh, I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to keep up. All right, so uh, let's start with your take on the Raiders putting all their chips on the table for Jimmy G and his injured foot. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, obviously they they moved on from Derek Carr, and as I wrote many times and talked about many times, the decision to to move on from Derek Carr wasn't really predicated on having an exact replacement in mind for him or set a replacement in mind for him um, when they made that decision. Uh, they, it was independent of who the replacement was going to be. Uh, you heard Tom Brady. They dabbled in the Aaron Rodgers. They thought about maybe trading up in the draft. There were a lot of different um, balls that they were kind of juggling uh, to try to figure out whether it was going to be a long-term or short-term replacement plan for Derek Carr, and ultimately they decided that Jimmy G, with his past history with, um, with Josh McDaniels, would be a, a good fit on a short-term basis. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the uh, direction that they took. Lo and behold, as we've come to find out, um, at, the day, at the time of the signing for that contract, he wasn't ready to take his physical, or he wasn't ready to pass one, that's for sure, and he didn't. And they, they, they realized and they came to the conclusion that uh, the foot injury that he suffered last year in December um, needed some uh, cleanup surgery. Um, I think every, all the doctors that were involved took a look at things, and, and the Raiders had a comfort level that everything was going to work out. I think Jimmy G feels the same way, but as a protection, because he literally couldn't pass the physical at the time of signing, uh, the Raiders added some language to the contract that says, look, we think you're going to pass the physical, but if it comes to it where you can't, um, we need to have some protection on this. And so uh, we're all going to find out together whether or not Jimmy G ultimately passes this physical. And if he doesn't, the Raiders can walk away uh, from the con- uh, contract scot-free um, and go in another direction. I don't think they expect that or want that. But that is, until further notice, uh, something that's on the table. How serious were they or did they inquire about Aaron Rodgers? Because that just made too much sense to me. They needed a quarterback. You had the Devontae Adams connection. I think the money was there, if I remember correctly, from, from things I've read. How serious did they, did they get in on the Aaron Rodgers talk? I would say it was lukewarm. Um, and there, there, were, there were probably a, a number of reasons for that. Number one, whatever assets it was going to take to acquire him, uh, that's, that's one leg uh, of that journey. But the other part, and, the, and, and that gets tied into, okay, but how long is he going to be here? Is this going to be a one-year deal or two-year deal? And I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is really in, in, mm-hmm. in any uh, mindset to, to give that kind of an answer. And so I don't think the Raiders were real interested in paying some, some assets for what could have been just a one-year uh, type rental. And then on top of that, it would have still cost a lot of money. Uh, there's no way that, Der- that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to collect uh, all the money that, that he is owed. So that came into play in terms of um, are these resources, whether it's the capital to pay him, the draft capital to go get him, um, does that fit with, with the timeline right now? And I don't think there's really, um, you know, if you're being realistic, and I think the Raiders are trying to be realistic, I don't think they're a quarterback, any quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl this year. Um, I think they want to be competitive. I think they want to, you know, get, get pointed in the right direction. But I don't think that they feel like they got to sell out to go get a quarterback or didn't feel like they had to sell out to go get a quarterback for one year and sacrifice whatever they were going to sacrifice uh, in that pursuit. 
Vincent Bonsignor is with us here from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, also the host of the Raiders Huddle, uh, Cattles and Rami, Sacktown Sports on this Friday. Vincent, uh, Josh McDaniel said he has no anxiety regarding Jimmy G. Is there anxiety in that locker room? Uh, I, you know, and I, I, I talk to a lot of people. I don't, I'm not, I'm not getting that sense right now. Now, um, you know, uh, as I said earlier, we're going to all kind of find out together whether that optimism is warranted or not. Right. At some point, Jimmy G is going to have to take a physical and pass it. And, um, you know, we're, we're, I'm sure weeks away from that. Uh, training camp starts, what, at the end of July. So about eight weeks away from, um, you know, maybe a little bit less. Uh, from 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 you know when training camp is here and when he literally does have to end up taking a taking a physical. But everyone that I've talked to, and I feel like I talked to enough people, not just um, you know uh, uh, on one floor of the building, but but also players and people that kind of have a good inkling of what's going on. And and there really isn't a whole lot of concern right now. At least uh, at least the type that anybody is expressing or you know, kind of scratching their head about, like, who the heck's going to be the quarterback here? I think there's, there literally is a comfort level that it's all going to work out. But I always preface that by saying it is Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, and this isn't an exact science. And we're talking about the human body, and we're talking about a, a, a player who's been hurt multiple times. So, um, you know, I know Josh McDaniels, and I, I don't think Josh is going to say that, unless he's getting good, solid information from the people that should know these types of things. And we're talking about doctors and medical staff. So he obviously has a level of comfort based on the information that he's getting from the medical staff. Um, But, you know, we have to preface this by saying it is an inexact science. And at some point he's going to have to take that physical and we're all going to find out whether or not he passed it or not. I know they just held uh, OTAs, and, you, and and I know they're in shorts and 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 not really pads. <laughs> Anybody flash out there though? Anybody raise an eyebrow for Vincent Bonsignor? Well, uh, Max Crosby always does. I don't care if it's uh, in the middle of uh, October, sure. um, you know, <laughs> or in uh, late May, early June. Um, this guy brings it, and it's really impressive to see how he continues to stack it day after day, season after season. That there's things that that still push him and there's there's goals and objectives that he still has individually and obviously as as uh, team wise so he's out there flying around uh, no doubt about it um I feel like Aiden O'Connell, you know, he's gotten an opportunity to throw uh, a lot here uh, in OTAs we're going to get a really extensive look at him next week in minicamp um you know I'm I'm just saying eyeballing it uh, after a couple of practices um the guy can sling it he's got an arm he can he, he throws with touch uh, there's an accuracy to him. Um, he, he looks like he's thinned out a little bit uh, since the, you know what I saw of him on tape uh, over at Purdue. So he's putting the body together as, as well. I feel like there's a starting point there for Aiden O'Connell. I, you know, obviously he's going to have to put it together, and that's on him and that's on the coaching staff to see you know how high he can take it. But there seems to be some uh, pieces of that puzzle, the necessary pieces of, of a puzzle. Uh, to ultimately construct a, a pretty decent quarterback. But, um, again, that's going to be on him. Early impressions, though, uh, young Aiden O'Connell could throw the heck out of the football. Vincent Bonson, yours with us on the Folsom Lake Hana Hotline. Vincent, I, I saw your tweets yesterday about Chandler Jones. He looks pretty thin to me. He's down to 255. Do you anticipate him playing lighter this season? Is, is that what he's saying he's going to do? I think I think that's the plan, but there's – I mean – I'm look to me when he walked out there yesterday. I had to do a double take. I literally yeah. and yep. and uh, it looked like he was a uh, uh, you know a, 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 a three and D small forward you know uh, that <laughs> right. could go help the Miami Heat. And who knows? Maybe he could have helped the Miami Heat last night. But um, I can't see that somebody can play that position at that weight because 
there's some big, large human beings over there at offensive tackle um, that that whose eyes would probably light up uh, having to go with somebody that that's that's that light. Um, so yeah, I think that I think you know we're, how, how we kind of explain it to us is you know he's coming off an injury last year himself. Um, and I, I just don't think that he's gotten into the weight room the way he normally does. And because of that, he's kind of walking around feeling pretty good about how quick he feels and how light he feels, which I'm sure there's something to be said about that. He just turned 33. I'm sure he, he, he understands at this stage of his career uh, that speed is a factor. Uh, and, you know, should I drop some weight in order to maintain some speed or pick up some speed that maybe I lost because of age, but there's a fine line there because it's one thing to be fast. It's another thing if you're going to get pushed around and he, he does other things aside from rush the passer and that set the edge and, you know, uh, and be strong in the run game and stout in the run game. Uh, Just eyeballing it. I can't imagine that he's going to be able to play at that weight, but he has a lot of time to, you know, to, to, to find that sweet spot for him where, uh, he's maintaining some speed, but not losing the necessary power as well. I know the quarterback situation, and especially with, with the news about Jimmy G's foot, probably gets most of the attention and concern from those with an eye on the Raiders. But should should we be more concerned with what's going on on, on that side of the ball, on the defense? That's always the big concern <laughs> with the Raiders. <laughs> um, and I've been I've been covering this team since, what, the last month of 2019, and it's, it just never seems to get better. Um and, you know, they've missed out on a lot of draft picks, obviously. Um, you know, Damon Arnett was supposed to be going into year four uh, as the starting quarterback. We all know how that played out. Trayvon Mullins no longer with the team. Cleve Farrell was a waste of a pick. Jonathan Abram uh, never lived up to expectations. Corey Littleton wasn't the free agent linebacker that they thought I could go. How long do we have? We could go on and on with that. But the, the bottom line is, um, you know, it's it's created a uh, a defense that has a lot of holes, and uh, they're not going to be able to magically uh, take care of that during free agency. I know the fans were a little bit frustrated over the lack of activity. Well, they had a lot of holes that they had to um, fill, and you know, and a finite amount of money that they could spend, and so they kind of went with the spread it out and bring in as many as as they could, uh, and and really focus on the draft. And they and they they did, you know, obviously go heavy on defense. Uh, can Byron Young uh, be a be a, a player that could get on the field early? Is Tyree Wilson going to be who everyone expects him to be? Uh, Jacorian uh, Bennett, the the cornerback from uh, Maryland, uh, Chris Smith, the, uh, the the safety from from uh, Georgia. Are these guys going to be able to get on the field? And some of the free agents that they brought in. So it's it. You, you know, I I say this every year. They can only go one way. But every time I say that, it feels like they still find ways to go the other way, the <laughs> wrong direction. So um, yeah. That's definitely a, a point of focus. I don't think it's going to get fixed overnight or in one uh, off season. That's a that's a that's a uh, you know defense that's that's you know under construction and will be for some time. But as long as they can start hitting on some of these draft picks and some of the guys that we just mentioned, if they are, and you got to throw in Nate Hobbs, you know, is is he back from the injury? Uh, Divine Diablo, all the weight that that uh, uh, that Chandler lost, it seems to have gone in a good way. Uh, to divide Diablo, he sort of changed his body. Matthew Butler and Neil Farrell, the two defensive tackles they drafted last year. Uh, Trayvon Merrig, um, the, the young safety, uh, is he is he going to bounce back from what was kind of a, uh, a step back season for him? There's there's players there and there's there's talent there. Um, now they just have to have guys really and truly step up, and it's a it's a uh, rinse and repeat situation uh, with the Raiders. But you figure at some point they're going to get it turned around. Who knows? Maybe this is the year. Vincent, great stuff, man. I, I appreciate it. We appreciate it. Uh, look forward to speaking with you soon about this team and enjoy your weekend. 
All right, you guys have a good one. Thanks for having me. Thank you. There goes Vincent Bonson. You're on the Folsom Lake Honda hotline. Folsom Lake Honda, your one-stop Honda shop. Of course, Vincent works at the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He also hosts Raiders Huddle. Which you knew. Which we knew. We obviously knew. Well, you know, I have been gone for two-plus weeks, so I wasn't really keeping track of of Vincent's career, but... uh, yeah, I also didn't pay attention to JJ's note in the Slack channel, so that's on. <laughs> uh, find out what we didn't get to this week that has Rami fired up. We didn't miss it. See, see, see right there. You see it? I think it. We just chose not to tell you. Well, we're ready now. It's how did we not get into it? Get into it. All right. So, uh, in all transparency. I would say that Rami is much more, I don't know if I'd say excited, much more... Passionate. Passionate. Yeah. Passionate's good. Mm-hmm. About this than I am. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to lay that groundwork. Okay. Here. This is going to be mostly Rami and JJ because they, they, they both have a, a passion for this that uh, I lost a long time ago. That is Barry <laughs> Bonds and the whole steroid thing. So uh, Bonds... Apparently, he's going to have a documentary on HBO. HBO and Words Plus Pictures have launched production on the doc. No release date was announced for the currently unnamed project. But here's how it was described. Quote, the untitled HBO sports documentary will tell the story of Barry Bonds all the way up to his meteoric rise in the 90s and 2000s. Using archival footage and original interviews, the film will chronicle Bonds' emergence as one of the game's most talented all-around players with the Pirates and Giants, and then his years as a superstar with the Giants when he rewrote the record book in his late 30s, dot, 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 amid controversy. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, so, Rami, take it away. I'm I'm glad that they include the amid controversy. I also saw in a in a, in a a different part of the release, Nick. They said they they will give Barry Bonds the opportunity to participate and tell his side of the story. I was a little worried about that because, look, man, this guy has like like they noted as they acknowledged some controversy surrounding his career and especially his dun, late dun, career. Dun, dun, dun. You don't say and and breaking uh, Hank Aaron's or yeah Hank was it Hank Aaron yeah it was Hank Aaron's record. Uh, Mark McGuire hadn't broken the career record yet, and, but then I saw that Barry Bonds himself. I had missed this before months ago, released uh, a statement on Instagram basically saying that he was making his own documentary, telling friends. Oh, sweet. I'm sure that'll be objective. Telling friends and family and contacts. I know you've been contacted by a party recently doing a documentary about me. I am not involved with this project, but I can tell you that I am well into planning a bigger and better one. So please stay tuned. More to come. So Barry Bonds. Better is up for interpretation. And by the way, he already did this. Remember the Bonds on Bonds thing that ESPN did? This yeah. is a long time ago. And it was just it was just a fluff piece. It See, was, you you've you've kept up with this. Yes, I have. I, I read Game of Shadows because, and I'm done. And because and that's I read what was that how many pages was that book? Three hundred pages. I read that book, I'm out. That's what I'm hoping this documentary is. I have a is. full understanding as to what it is, what happened. I'm moving forward with my life. I'm hoping this documentary is a a, a documentary version, a video version of what Game of Shadows was. And the reason why, Nick, is because 
and look, man, if you're tired of it, you're tired of it, and I get it. And as I always say, I'm not going to tell you how to fan. 352 pages, by but the way. But the further and further we get from this thing, the more and more people just throw up their hands and shrug their shoulders and go, nah, whatever, no big deal. And the guy is... He's not worthy of any sort of celebration or acknowledgement or enshrinement into the Hall of Fame or anything else. And I I can forgive, but I don't forget. And I think that I, I don't want other people to forget what this guy did. I hope it's a full telling of the story of Barry Bonds and and the black guy that he is on on the sport of baseball in, in terms of the way that he broke. What's a what's a sacred record in that sport? I love baseball. And I hate what Barry Bonds did to it. And by the way, I was a huge Barry Bonds fan before all that stuff, before his head grew eight sizes and, and he was hitting home runs with one hand into the bay. You know, you know what I mean? It's just I, I don't want people to forget and I don't want, us, want this to just get whitewashed or forgotten or glazed over or anything like that. So I'm glad this is happening if it's indeed a true full telling of the story. I think you you touched on and Rami for me is the fact of time one of two things heals all wounds mm-hmm. right or it makes things worse for a lot of people and uh, I was watching the Lorenzen Wright little uh, did you guys see that and I can't remember what the name of the uh, I know what you're talking about that yeah because the first one was Hulk Hogan versus Gawker is it Rich and, and Shameless I think that's it there you go brother and so Lorenzen Wright was uh, was the second episode after the Hulk Hogan one and it. It brought me back to the time it happened, and of course that has played out over the last fifteen years or so. And it, I mean, look, his wife just got uh, the wife and the assailant just got put back into you know uh, uh, under the fire the last couple of years. But with the bonds thing, I think it takes it back. It's nostalgia. It's something to the point of, like you said, Rami. Let's not forget. Let's mm-hmm. not forget for you. Let's not forgive. You know, a lot of people no, I said not I forgive. forgive. I mean, it's just a game. Yeah, I don't, don't sound I don't... like you forgive, Rami. I think you still got the heat out for Bonds. And that's cool. I'm not a Bonds guy. I'm not a Bonds fan. I was more, I'm a Griffey side. I, you couldn't really, it was one of those things where you either like Bonds or you like Griffey. You couldn't like both, I guess, right? I think it's, uh, look, it's a tremendous story. I like both. Yeah. When you when you look at Barry Bonds. Because it, it covers a lot of different aspects of life. Yeah. You know, it, it covers baseball and the steroid era and all that, but but it's really a story about uncontrollable ego and the inescapable feeling that you have to be the best at what you do. And if you don't feel like you're the best at what you do, it's going to eat you alive. And if you know that others are doing things to put themselves ahead of you, that's going to drive you even more. And, mm-hmm. and that's really what it's about. It's about greed. It's about ego. It's about somebody who was watching Mark McGuire get praised while knowing what was going on within the game and saying, okay, all right, let's see what happens when I do that. Let's see how good I can be if I'm, if Mark McGuire is that good on that. Let's see what happens with me when I jump on the juice. Let, let, let me get people talking because this guy doesn't deserve it. This isn't, this isn't a level playing field. I also think that over time, Rami, I, I know you say you know people you know forget. I, I don't know how many people are forgetting Look, younger people, younger fans of the game, they're not going to be as emotionally attached. It, it would be 
you know, it, I, I think it would be silly to expect a 15, 16-year-old baseball fan to really feel it because, you know, they just weren't around it. They it, live it. it. Yeah, it is what it is. They read it in books and they go, okay. Like when I read history in books, they'd be like, okay, yeah, okay, but I'm not emotionally attached. But I, I do think, like, time also gives you perspective. And, I, and I'm not going to excuse it in any way, but I do think – I don't want to put words in baseball fans' mouths here, but – you know, I grew up baseball's my first love. I, I still Same. love the game. Same. I think many people look at that and say there were a lot more people doing it and involved than we than we knew. And you know, was was what Bonds was doing much worse than a lot of other players and what they were doing? I think that's how people kind of look at it now. See, I don't think so. I, I think with the other guys. Mark McGuire is a fraud in most people's eyes. Sammy Sosa is a fraud in most people's eyes. More than more than with those other guys, I hear, man, Bonds was so good. Wasn't he so good? Before. But, before the situation. But even after. But you can't, no, but you can't. But that JJ's right. That's the difference. Because people saw Bonds be a multiple-time MVP before he took anything. He was literally one of the top two or three players in baseball. He was. And that's why he I was a huge— He would have gone down as one of the best outfielders huge... that we've ever seen. Five-tool player, all that stuff. Yes. That's what that dude was. Yes. The problem why people but see— But he tarnished that. But— He's not my fault. There's no doubt he tarnished it. But I'm talking about what you just brought up about McGuire and Sosa. People have a bigger issue with those two guys because they weren't good. A fraud is a fraud. A cheat is a cheat. I understand. But what people are saying is he had natural talent and he was really good before he got on it. I think people look cool. at McGuire and Sosa as different because they say they would have never been good if it wasn't for that. And they also see Sosa as a guy who had a corked bat running out to the pitcher's mound trying to recover the busted bat to, to keep the world from knowing <laughs> and, and, and other stuff that Sammy has been involved in. So I mean, Mark Barry Bonds has been involved in some stuff besides steroids. You, you know what I mean? I just think that's – that's how people – I'm not telling you if it's right or wrong. I think that's how people view it, which is like Mark McGuire was like a 230 hitter who would hit some bombs and nothing else. Pretty good first baseman, right? And Sosa was pretty much nothing until he got to Chicago and was doing what he did. Barry was different. Barry he wasn't was, home runs like that. Barry which is, was a, a legit, pure talent. Yeah. You, know, you know the one thing that I would – and. Rami, I didn't know the Instagram post. I hadn't seen that after, you know, I've kind of looked at the story on the surface, but haven't Mm -hmm. dove deep into it. I think the one thing for me, being a baseball fan, you know, growing up in this area, watching Bonds, you know, from from 93 on out, is I hate that he's not going to talk. And I think that's that's my drawback with this is. Now that I know that, Rami, I'm kind of a little bit on the outside like Nick. I'm like, no, you got to talk. It's time for Bonds to speak on some things. And I understand the game of shadows. I understand, you know, the Bonds being Bonds and all that. But kind of like what we've seen with the last dance, the one thing the last dance did for, at least for me, nostalgia, is we got to hear Jordan talk a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to see him more of a human being than Air Jordan himself. And I think that's my whole thing with this is I want to hear Bonds talk about baseball. I want to hear how he views things. I want to see how we, how from his perspective, what he's seen. That just tells me that they're not going to tell the story the way that they want him to tell the story. And which, which is, which probably means the truth. It's just a shame that a guy that in 93 had 46 bombs and stole almost 30 bases. And, I, I mean, again, he he was one of the best players that I had ever laid my eyes on before he did it. But then he and, put himself uh, in and, the and same it, category as Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Okay. 
you're just not going to let me finish. You're so passionate about this. I was going to say it's a shame that he felt he had to drive himself to that and did tarnish his career because – you're right. He was untouchable at that point. It's a shame he did that to himself. Uh, is a young NBA superstar in more trouble than he thought? We'll get to that next. Cattles and Rami. Sacktown Sports.